Everybody, 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 drop your buff. Stop, 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 Welcome back to Drop Your Buffs. I'm Sean Ross. I am Evan Ross Katz. And just like that, we are back with episode seven, February 14th. It's <laughs> becoming a jump. joke at this point. <laughs> yeah. It reminds me of like the Harry Potter movies, how they have to get through a whole year in one film. And so there's just cues like, see, the season is changing. And our cues are the episode titles or the weather or just straight up telling us that, well, the kids are at summer camp in this episode, and now it's Halloween. Yeah, and what a jump we made. And I, I had a little bit of trouble with the timeline in understanding that in episode six, Carrie emails Aiden during yeah. the bomb cyclone. <laughs> yeah. And then here we are now, months later, we're you know, decidedly mid-February, and Aiden decides to email back. So I'm just wondering, like, in the interim, was he ignoring her? Did he, does he not check his email frequently? And then why wasn't that addressed as sort of like Carrie feeling like not only was she surprised to hear from Aiden, but surprised to hear from him after so much time? Because if I reach out to an ex, which I'm not even doing in the first place, but like <laughs> if I do and I don't hear back for weeks, if not months, at that point, I'm sort of abandoning hope that there's going to be... <laughs> a, a relit connection. Yeah. And then when they do respond, it's like, well, I don't want to respond back to this. Like, don't totally. leave me on red for months. I was, I'm not going to jump at the chance to talk to you when you're ready. Well, especially when the follow up is just, what's up? <laughs> 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 but then I thought, are they trying to fudge this timeline a little bit? Because there could have been a bomb cyclone in February. Like, this, it could be not that far apart but mm -hmm. then there was the reference that charlotte made to the fact that lily's boyfriend who she lost her virginity to broke up with her quote two weeks ago and so we have at least two weeks and i imagine if he broke up with her the day after they had sex that would be like very traumatic and would probably deserve a storyline so we had, we're, we're definitely more than two weeks at least a month out from the last episode do you think that lily's boyfriend heard the power of privilege and was like i can't date an artist that that produces this 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 quality of work it's possible it's possible forgot that was the title of the song is that the title is that the formal title well that's what harry referred to it as so i, oh. I believe so if it's not the title of the song it's what it's being referred to as in the and just like that you know right right he said that in this episode right yeah yes okay i appreciated harry acknowledging that his daughter's sonic contributions were not perhaps like the route where she should go professionally or creatively. Yeah, I but guess. But then again, it's like, uh, we did sort of like the song. It's her first song. I, yeah. Like, let her write another song. It's if true. If we wrote people off based on their first songs, we'd be in big trouble. Yeah, this, this is true. I'm curious, like at this point, I, I'm assuming we're abandoning Lily's musician plotline in a similar manner to Rock's modeling. Um, I think yeah. that was probably a one-off. It is something that this show really does enjoy doing, um, which is like setting something up and then sort of just abandoning it. I'm reminded most obviously of Miranda's alcoholism storyline from season one, 
where that was like a huge plot point for an episode or two. And then it was sort of like, we completely moved on. Obviously we've gotten a few references when Carrie and Miranda showed up to Naya's several episodes. I think it was last episode. They mentioned the Mm -hmm. fact that here's like non-alcoholic wine for Miranda. So we get like nods to it, but the show has a tendency to wrap something up and then never refer to it again. I mean, I'm thinking about Che Passa, for instance, which was like, and Miranda in LA, but yeah, but that was like, at least a few, like that got true. a few episodes. True. And the funny thing about the Lily modeling plot line is it's like, that was a thing. And then they brought it into this episode. So I was like, oh, it's a thing. But then it was clear. The rock modeling. Excuse me. Yeah, sorry. Excuse me. It was clear with the rock modeling that like, this is the end of the rock storyline. Yeah. I got to tell you, <laughs> I struggled with this episode. Like, I think this was the low point for me in the series. I was pulling my hair out. So what's interesting for me is I messaged you, or or we spoke since we last recorded, and I said to you, I was so frustrated with myself after the last episode in feeling like I have a really hard time watching this episode, like watching an episode event just like that, and then talking about it. This go-round, I watched the first episode. I took a bunch of angry notes about, like, what the fuck did I just watch? Then I re-watched the episode last night, and it's not that it made more sense. That is certainly not, like, what happens for me. But there's something that happens on my second watch of an episode of And Just Like That where, like, I make peace with the choices that were mm-hmm. made and am able to sort of, like, say, okay, if this is the dish being served and I'm eating it, like, what are some other flavors that I can find within this? Because I too watched it the first go round and felt like this was a low point for the series. I watched it again last night and had a very different reaction. And I don't know what that is, but like that tends to be my experience of this show where like, the more I watch it, the more I enjoy it. It's not that I, it's not that I think it is better, but I find (laughs) Find like, things to enjoy. Yeah, I, I again, like I feel like I make peace with it. I gotta say, Evan, maybe you need to be watching the Survivor episodes twice. True. This is really this honestly, but not for nothing. Like that actually really could <laughs> be the case. <laughs> yeah. I think that like on the whole, I am someone, and I, honestly, this makes me think about the Barbie movie. Whereas, like, I think oh, I'm I someone know. who the first time I watch a thing, uh-huh. all of like the my brain tends to sort of see the like, well, they should have done this yes. or what if they had done this or why did they do this? And I think the second viewing, I am more willing to like reconcile with this is the thing. So yeah, I mean, I that could very well be true. Yeah, we talked about the Barbie movie on Shut Up Evan this week. And, you know, I like w- we gave a, an immediate reaction to it, right? So it was the next day. I so, well, was, Sorry, it was immediate for me. It was the next day. Uh, you had a few days. I sort of like, I think I would have a different conversation about Barbie today than I did five days ago. Yeah. I, and I, I like, I'm like, it makes me a little nervous that like my, <laughs> my, my sort of, it's not a negative review, but it's like a, a critical review of Barbie. It's like out there because like Barbie is like, it's this important cultural moment or we're being told it is anyway. Um, and I was being critical of it. And I think I was being overly critical of it because that is also my response is that like mm-hmm. my immediate go-to is, okay, like I sort of take for granted that, okay, there's all the, there's all the good things about this, but let's talk about like where it's not so great. I find but that, it, I find that just a more interesting thing to talk about. Yes. Um, and often I find when I'm talking about something, the good then doesn't get celebrated like it should. My thought though 
when you say that it's sort of like everyone is already celebrating the good of Barbie. So I do feel like there's a utility in us coming together. And yes, we can recognize all the good that's been said. True, 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 to an extent. True, true, true. And here are some things that are not being said because I think in the case of the Barbie film specifically, because it's such monoculture and because it's being so universally celebrated, it if, if we're going to add to the conversation, I think it feels more appropriate to say, what, what, what can we add? Well, here are some things that didn't quite work. But I understand mm. what you're saying where you don't want it to come off as though we aren't recognizing or agreeing with some of the good things that have already been said. But like, for instance, to recognize the great production design of the Barbie film, it sort of like feels so duh that it's sort of easy to say, to over, like to move past that and sort of glob onto some of the conversations that aren't being had. I also feel uniquely in the case of Barbie, because there's this like obsession lately with like, Rotten Tomatoes score and the idea of like that number meaning something. So if you go online right now, it'll say, I think the last number I checked in is like Barbie has a 90% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes. But if anyone read, I did a sub stack where I just sort of uh, amassed all of the various reviews and like the reviews for Barbie are pretty universally mid, especially mm -hmm. from the top critics. And so there's like the there's some space between that 90% score and what I actually think the reputable critics are saying that I think that should be like dissected more. And I think well, that's I think it's uh, yeah, I think it's about the how they arrive at that number. And yes. I, I saw some article about how they arrive at that number. But it's like you can have a review, and I guess this is what I'm saying is like our review of the Barbie movie was like four out of five stars. It's it's that space where they lose the star that I find the most interesting to talk about. Totally. Four out of five stars is incredible, totally. right? Like that is a very good rating for a movie. That's an 80%. Uh, a lot of movies don't have that. And uh, so I just feel like I would rather focus on that 20% and why it didn't work in, in a movie where so much worked. I like could not agree with you more where it's like I, and I feel like this is, such a tough thing to like, because you could listen to that episode that we recorded and come away from it thinking that you and I were pretty negative on the movie. But I agree with you exactly. Like four out of five feels so right to me. Um, so I think there's just something in saying that you can enjoy a thing and pick it apart and the picking apart doesn't make you enjoy it less. It's more that like, we consume to the 80% that we like and say yay, whereas the 20% that we, I don't want to say didn't like, but the 20% that we are more willing to um, grapple with is the sweet spot in terms of discussion. Yeah. And I think that that's where people, like some people get lost a little on our Survivor takes as well is, and I've said this many, many times, it's like Survivor is a great show, period. It's like Mike White said on our podcast, it's better than all these other shows. It is, it is probably the best competition show on TV. Now, let's talk about what could make it better. I find that such a, a, a more interesting conversation to have than just to be like, oh, isn't it great to see all these people playing this game and like, look at how the, the way that the vote went and how it could have gone. Like, I, I love to talk about that space where this great show that we love because we have a podcast about it, there's the proof that we love it, could still be better. And here's totally. how. And do I expect that it's going to do that? No, but like if it did, we'd have nothing to talk about. Right. One great exercise I like to play sometimes, especially when I'm like very down on something is like, what are the five things that I loved about it? And like leading with that, because mm. again, I'm someone who like, I tend to go to the negative first. 
And so I sort of to try it in an effort to rewire my own like way of thinking, I'm like, well, here are the five things I did. Like, especially when talking about something like the idol where I'm like, here are the hundred things I didn't like. I'm like, okay, that's easy, right? Like I can watch it. It's so easy to just like hate on the idol because it's worth hating on. But as a task, especially as people that offer up cultural criticism, I think it's interesting to say, okay, but like, let's start with what you did like. And yeah. that takes more mining, a lot of mining. But I think that, I, I always say this, I've always said this to Billy where it's like, because we'll see something, we'll hate it sometimes. And it's like, well, let's start with what we liked. It just, it, it okay. gives more credence to what you hate. What did you like in February 14th? I loved the scene with Miranda and the our woman of the week, which by the way, worth noting, this is our first for Miranda, our first sort of like one and done of the end just like that universe because mm. Miranda's only lovers that we've seen so far are Steve and Che. And so I just thought it was so refreshing to see Miranda getting a person of the week. And I just loved, I think my favorite moment in the whole episode was the kitty litter coming out yeah. of the Birkenstock. <laughs> and the fact that we got two shots of it, that was amazing. And then the moment that made me laugh out loud in both watches was Cynthia Nixon opening the bathroom door, the cat shrieking, and Cynthia shrieking. Um, I just love that. I like the way that it was, the comedy was played perfectly for me in that it was a comedic moment, but that actually led to a realization that like we needed Miranda to get to, and one that yeah. I actually found to be quite relatable. Um, for a lot of people, I can speak to this as like someone in my mid thirties and sort of feeling like, I think the older you get, sometimes you start to realize that things that you think are imposed upon you, you have more autonomy. And I mm. like, I appreciate Miranda for sort of getting this realization vis-a-vis -vis Carrie of like, yeah, I don't have to put up with this. So that was definitely the high point for me. What was the high point for you? I also really, really liked uh, Miranda in the apartment, in Amelia's apartment. Amelia. Uh, my moment was not actually like a comedic moment, but you're kind of getting to it. It's when she's on the phone with Carrie and she goes, I can leave. I can leave. I can leave. And that realization, because that's something I thought about a lot, especially like as a gay man, like with hookup culture, etc. Yes, Sometimes absolutely. you show up somewhere and you I don't, don't want to do be there. And you're like, I, I can leave. Yeah. And uh, if they're hurt Have I ever left? Or... No. Oh. <laughs> I find it hard to leave. Uh-huh. Uh, but like that's a, that is a conversation I like to have with people. You know what's interesting? There's a book that my friends Chelsea Fairless and Lauren Garoni wrote called We Should All Be Mirandas. And I feel like this is a prime example of a moment of one of the few moments on and just like that of a We Should All Be Miranda. And I feel like something that uh, the two of them, they have this fabulous podcast called Every Outfit where they recap and just like that. And they've sort of highlighted what they call the doofusification of Miranda Hobbs. And I feel like this episode and, and this scene that we're both referring to in particular was a great redemptive moment for the Miranda that a lot of us have known and loved from the Sex and the City universe. One who doesn't put up with the bullshit that Miranda has put up with both from Steve in and just like that and Che. It's great to see Miranda sort of claiming her own power, which was once very familiar to the Miranda we know. Mm. The other I moment have, I want to oh go ahead. Oh, oh I, I like so so I was gonna say I like that moment and I went on too long about it. But my favorite moment was Carrie and Aiden sitting in <gasps> the booth. 
uh, on Valentine's Day because the conversation felt so real to me because it was awkward a little bit. They were both happy to be there. They were talking sort of like in generalities, sort of just like making small talk. Uh, and yet you could, I just felt like it was, it was a really great example of show me, not tell, don't tell me where it was like, okay, these two people haven't seen each other in a long time. They're happy to be seeing each other, but they're trying to pick up where they left off and it's awkward. And Absolutely. I thought that it was really, really well done. Absolutely. The other highlight for me related to Aiden, I obviously knew he was coming. It was in the preview. We've obviously seen so many of the images that have been spoiled, et cetera. When they embraced, I lost it. Um, <laughs> I really did. I feel really strongly about this relationship and their chemistry as actors. And I also, there's something mildly fourth wall breaky to me about, and I don't know this for a fact. I mean, obviously I've heard them both say it, but like there's something that you can tell about the fact that Sarah Jessica Parker and John Corbett like each other as people. And so the idea of them revisiting this romance decades later, both the characters, but there's also that feeling you get, and maybe it's just me, but like I'm like, I'm comforted to see Sarah Jessica with a scene partner that I know she loves. And this is no shade. This isn't me saying like she didn't feel this way about Chris Noth or any of the other people. I just know that SJ loves working with John and I get the sense that John likes working with SJ. And so it's not that, that there was something about that embrace and that quintessentially Aiden-like embrace and the way that Carrie sort of like melted into his body. Um, we'll get to his costuming later. Um, <laughs> but uh, it was just so, so powerful. Obviously, I know like the kiss is like sort of like the fan service moment, and that was great. But for me, the hug was actually more impactful than the kiss. And I felt just so relieved to have him back. It like it it hit me. I was I got emotional both watches. I love Aiden. I love, love Aiden. Okay. Let's talk about what we didn't love. Okay. Cause <laughs> I, I have I have a big problem here. I, I I've sort of like figured out what my problem with and just like that is and it's that this show is only great when miranda or carrie are on the screen and i saw this tweet this week that said something about you know carrie is a side character in her own show now and i really felt that in this episode where every time carrie was on screen i was paying attention and she was on screen very little. And I think that that's a real problem because they've got all these, and we, I know we've talked about it, but they've got all these characters and it feels like they're wasting time with 50% of the episode. I mean, Lisa Todd Wexley's stories this entire season have been brutal, uh, a, a truly a waste of time, especially in this episode. Uh, Seema's presence in this episode was a waste of time this pathetic plot that they gave naya that she wanted to get into souffle baking waste of time charlotte believing she has a stroke and it turns out that she had taken a thc a weed brownie off screen <laughs> i mean it well, felt like a waste of screen. time oh she did yeah when she oh, first see, I thought home, that came out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah. She takes a bite. Okay, on okay. Well, okay. That would have I would have benefited from a second watch, perhaps. 
But it just felt like, because in that moment, I thought, holy shit, like, this is a life-changing moment. We're giving Charlotte a stroke. I was like, I am very down for this. And then that it's like, you got a lot of THC in your system. And I understand that this is going to lead to sort of like an identity crisis for her. And it's going to get her back to work finally after all these episodes. But it felt a little cheap for me. It's so funny knowing that you missed the moment of her taking the bite of the brownie because for those of us that caught that, we never were entertaining the idea of her that she was actually having a stroke. <laughs> so it's funny to imagine like you were watching that with like that like glimmer of hope that like this was going to, whereas like the rest of us were sort of like, oh, we know where this is going. Um, yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I feel like in particular, the side characters to the side characters is particularly nauseating. So we have this moment at the top of the episode where Naya is on a Zoom call with her two friends where we're meeting like two new characters. And then with the Lisa Todd Wexley plot, we're dealing with, so Lisa Todd Wexley, who is a side character, we are now being introduced to her son's girlfriend. So like the side character of a side character of a side character. It just feels like we keep stretching. And then like this Anthony plot line where we have this Giuseppe person who in the scenes for next week, it's clear that like Giuseppe is going to be the new love interest for Anthony, who is no. already a side. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're making bread, baby. Um, it's just so fascinating that an already bloated ensemble, they just keep adding more, more, more people. The fact that Baxter, <laughs> Lisa Todd Wexley's <laughs> son's girlfriend, got as much screen time as she did is just jarring. But also, to your point, it's at the cost of spending time with our three leading ladies. And I think that's the trouble of it all. And then even this episode where it's like, it's clear now that we will be continuing with Che. Because that was the big question going into this episode, right? Where it's like, Che's arc with Miranda has wrapped. Is Che's time on this show done? It's clear that like Che is going to get their own universe only tethered now via Carrie where they have an occasional scene together, but I'm not even sure how much more we can do with this friendship. Cause I don't understand this friendship at all. I just yeah. don't think that either of them would be friends with the other one, but now yeah. it's like, how we're could getting, I forget Che in my rant? Yeah. Now we're getting Che returning to the veterinary world where apparently they come from. That is just like wild to me that like we're spending time with this. The thing that I want to say about this that I find fascinating is I touched down on the And Just Like That Ancillary podcast, which I do think is required listening in watching this show. And it's fascinating that all of these plot lines that you see come from experiences that the writers have had in their lives. And I think that's a problem. I think yeah. that in the writer's room, they think, well, because it really happened, we can write it into the show. For instance, the poet Giuseppe, uh, that they mentioned the fact that like that they have seen those one dollar poets out in Central Park, and so they were like, because this is real, we can put it in the show. And I'm like, I yes, it is real. It doesn't mean it belongs in the show or the the plot. Like yeah, just so many of these plot lines. Um, for instance, one of the the writers mentioned, oh, I have a friend who she coined this term, meevening. And I'm like, yeah, and like I think it it could have stayed, you know, with your friend having it be a thing that she thinks she created. It didn't need to be elevated into the script of and just like that. There's just this tendency that I hear from the writers of thinking that 
because it happened IRL, that justifies its place in the show. And I actually think there's something to be said about using one's imagination. Um, now, granted, I know a lot of the original plot lines on Sex and the City were derived from the real life experiences of those writers. If I may say, and I apologize if this sounds a little harsh, I think that the lives that the Sex and the City writers were living were a lot more colorful and worthy of putting into a show than the lives of the end just like that writer's room. That's just my sense. Yeah, I hear you. And, you know, talking about criticizing things you love, I've always, always said this about Alanis Morissette. You will see that there is a connection here. Because, you know, she is known for a very stream of consciousness sort of writing in her songwriting. And I sort of got to a point several albums in where I was like, not everything you put in your journal has to be a song. Yeah. You know what I mean? There is uh, there's power in editing and there's power in rewriting. So, yeah, I feel that. I think for me, it, it particularly came through with the SEMA plotline this episode, which was one scene that we were granted in which Carrie and SEMA were going to get massages. And it turns out that because it's Valentine's Day, they're only offering couples massages, which like, I don't even understand the logistics of that. Also, like, wouldn't she have known that when she booked it? But then on top of it all, I'm kind of like, okay, so they're only offering couples massages, which just means you're getting a massage next to your friend. Yeah. I don't think that that's like, I yeah. see that as a win, right? You could potentially like have a little chat while you're yeah. there together. It was odd that like, I didn't understand the utility of that plot at all. And then it's sort of, Seema falls out of the episode entirely. So I'm just not sure what that's doing. And then like the Naya plotline, I... I mean, honestly, poor Karen Pittman. I don't, like, this plot line, her seasonal arc is, like, just wild. The fact that we're having, like, continuity with the chocolate souffle going back to episode one or two when she meets <laughs> that guy Toussaint at the restaurant and he recommends, I believe he recommends the souffle at that, I, 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 but, and then also, like, the fact that she's going to a bookstore to get a book about a chocolate souffle recipe when it's, like, girl, Google. Well, this is somebody who takes FaceTime calls on their MacBook. This is this is true. Um, but yeah, I just felt like I I don't know. I, I don't know what to do because I feel like they really want to give service to this robust cast. And I just don't think there's space for it. And I don't think they've done a great job of making us care about these characters. The character that I care the most about that's new to this universe is LTW, but to your point, I think that they have not given LTW. I think that the, my thing is that I think um, Nicole Ari Parker is an incredible actress. I, I want to, you know, go back to that line reading from the last episode when her husband Herbert says something about like, you're still doing your career. And she goes, yeah, I'm still doing my career. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Like, I love that moment. And I do feel like she's wringing the sponge, you know, as, as much as she can. But I just feel like, yeah, LTW just like, I don't really get it. And there was that moment of seeing her and Charlotte at the school and those outfits. And I'm just like, I feel like a lot of the clothing choices, for instance, especially with LTW feel like they're, and I it's feel weird even saying this because I get that it's like sex in the city universe, but they're almost like too over the top in the sense that they don't, they don't feel like they're character building in any way. They feel like they're just, she feels like a Valentino ad always to me. Um, which by the way, the inclusion of Valentino in this show or the over-inclusion is <laughs> something that 
is is not suspect, but is very interesting. Should I would love be to see. Into. Yeah, I'd love to see the 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 check that was that was cashed. Um, but yeah, I, I I want to. That's the character I feel the most invested in. But I also feel like they're just not doing her justice. And then I just like, for instance, the long game with a character like Naya. It's like, what is the plan here? Yeah. I saw a tweet about LTW this week that said uh, her only plot line this season is that she has a closet. Yeah, it's Which true. Is true. I feel like with this kind of a cast, with this big of a cast, it really reminds me, this is going to be a weird parallel to draw, but I don't know if you ever watched the British show Skins. Of course. So the way that they dealt with that large cast is that every episode would focus on one character and the other characters would be involved because they all go to the same school and they know each other. That's a great way to do it because focusing on the one character allowed you to, you know, you you get to know these people through the other people's episodes, but then when it's time for their episode, we're going to dig deeper into that character. We're going to find out, uh, you know, what makes them laugh, what makes them cry, what what they love. It's really like a character study and then i found at least with skins every time you know i'd see like oh this character's episode is coming up and then you watch the episode i'm like i love this character this is my favorite character it's such an opportunity we're trying to do it all in one episode with this big of a cast just doesn't work and i understand the intention right like for instance i was again referencing the writer's room podcast the reason why naya had that zoom call with her friends was because the writers wanted to establish the fact that like naya has her own world that she lives in and has her own girlfriends that care about her and are concerned about her you know coming out of this divorce i get that but execution wise do we really have time to introduce Naya's friend group it just it feels so bloated within this world and as you said early on I'm craving more Carrie like Carrie's the girl and I feel like the time that we're spending with you know Ross Matthews for instance is taking away time from Carrie Miranda and then Charlotte which I could, I could use a little less. <laughs> yeah. No, this is the thing with, with Naya, with what you're saying is that like, of course, Naya has her own friend group, but that's not what this show is about. Exactly. And so this is at the end of the day, a TV show. This isn't reality. And so Naya can have her own friend group. I don't need to see it. What I need to see is Naya be friends with the characters on this show. Yes. And integrate with those characters, have lunch with those characters frequently if we're going to keep naya in the show she needs to be in the show and her friend group needs to be the cast of this show there's no other way to do it it's true i guess i just am not sure again like what the long-term plan is i feel like they introduce all these characters in season one um and then they're sort of you know as i think is a very mpk thing which is that like we made the choices and we're he's all about doubling down that sort of seems to be his you know mode of being um but again it's like how do we continue on with these characters is a big question especially in terms of how we tether them to the other characters you know for instance before che and miranda were in a relationship so it made sense why che was on the show now they're broken up and so how do we keep che in the mix and their solve for that so far is vis-a-vis carrie but it's like Carrie's got Aiden to deal with. Like, Carrie doesn't have time for Che. And when Carrie's not going to be dealing with Aiden, I need Carrie with Miranda and Charlotte. Yeah. Yeah. I did appreciate at the start of this episode, we got, it was the first scene this season of just the three ladies at the table. And I love that. It was nice to see just the three core 
girls back together. I wish that was more of a regular thing on this show. Yeah. Do you want to touch down on some of these plot lines? Uh, I would love to talk about Miranda's sexual identity crisis. Speaking of this scene, because this is where it first comes up, and we had this conversation like last week or the week before, uh, is Miranda bisexual? Is she a lesbian? What is Miranda? And she's asking herself these questions. And uh, I think she even surprises uh, her friends. Like, what do you think about... Miranda's exploration of her sexuality post Che. So it's interesting to me that, you know, Miranda is kind of in a free fall right now. Like where we left off in our last episode, and I, I understand that was months ago, but she like really ended things with Steve in a very like definitive way mm-hmm. and ended things with Che. It's like she had already blown up her life. And then the thing that she utilized to blow up said life also blew up. I was surprised at, surprised at the decision to have Miranda so willing to just jump in the dating pool. But on the other hand, I do appreciate it because I feel like this we've done so much wallowing on this show that I think we need to infuse new life. So I think it was an odd decision, but one that I can ultimately appreciate. In terms of Miranda's discovery of her sexuality, I like the fact that Miranda was sort of just like, I need to get laid versus being like, I mean, obviously her intention was to get back in the dating pool, but as soon as what's uh, Jane Austen's name? Amelia. As soon as Amelia's like, just come over and essentially saying like, let's just fuck. Miranda's like, that's what I want. Cause I ultimately want to explore sex with people of, you know, with women in particular, right. To understand herself. It's not really so much a matter of romance. I would have loved to see the plot line that is Miranda pursuing the the Brady's friend's mom. Mm-hmm. And Brady's friend's mom thinking that it's like a friendship, but then ultimately like Miranda goes and makes a move and it's like really uncomfortable. Like I do think there was potential hijinks there. Um, I think this is could fun. Could still happen. Yeah, it could, could still happen. happen. I, I guess what I'm, mo- like, in terms of characters I'm most curious about, because Obviously, it's clear that like Carrie's plot line, because we have four episodes left, it's clear that Carrie's plot line is going to be Aiden. It's clear that Charlotte's plot line is going to be her back to work plot line, which I got to say, thank God, I didn't realize it would take us this long to get there, but thank God <laughs> someone on this show has got to have a goddamn job. But I'm really curious like where we go with Miranda from here and if like if our next four, four storylines for Miranda are just Miranda dating various women and or men, question mark, or more non-binary characters, I am very much here for it. I, just like I love a monster of the week on Buffy, I love a man or woman or non-binary person of the week on Sex and the City slash and just like that. So I ultimately feel like, it, it, I mean, we could talk about the technology of the dating apps that she was looking at on her iPad. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, I'm like, I'm very here for Miranda exploring her sexuality. I was getting flashbacks to 2001, me logging online and <laughs> typing in like gay on the internet. Can we sidebar like briefly about in the world event, just like that's idea of technology, right? Because first we have like the nude pictures, right? We have like the tit yeah. from last week that yeah. looked like AI. And then we have LTW who is cutting together her movie on Final Cut Pro, which I am not a movie editor, but it's my understanding that that's not exactly how things would go. Um, we have the fact that Carrie has people calling into her podcast live, which like 
granted, it can happen, but no, like... No, no, those were voicemails. They were voicemails? She wasn't in conversation yeah, she with she said, them? play the next... She said, play the next voicemail okay fair enough fair enough yeah um and then we have like that moment in the at <laughs> not the, that i care <laughs> at the poetry st- or that the paper store or whatever when charlotte like is on the phone takes a photo of giuseppe and then you automatically hear that the sound of it like uploading but it's like she would need to take that photo and then i in uh, it again i get like how in the weeds am i gonna get here but i just think this show has a very odd relationship to technology. I also believe, do you remember Franklin, Carrie's boyfriend from episodes one and two uh-huh. of this season? Wasn't I'll there something where like he was editing the podcast on some odd software? Don't recall that. Yeah, okay. Again, I'm it's really- highly possible. Um, but needless to say, this show just has a very funny relationship with tech. Yeah, and we finally got a good look at an Instagram profile in this episode with Charlotte's dog's profile. What'd you uh, think? I Well, I- rewound and paused to look for the like count uh-huh. unfortunately charlotte hides, hides. The like i count. noticed that as well <laughs> shrewd i do appreciate the restraint of the writers um for saying because i was like they're gonna say that like rock suddenly has like two hundred thousand followers mm-hmm. and i was like i'm just not gonna buy this i like the fact that there's something to be said about the fact that in charlotte's mind rock is like this sensation that perhaps they're not in actuality um i like the idea that like Charlotte was perhaps getting too big for her britches and thinking that like my my child's done one campaign and suddenly Charlotte's like I've got a celebrity on my hands and it's like they've got 3,000 followers not to say like follower count is the be all end all but I do think it was a good signal to us the audience of like where Rock was at in their career Rock was not all of a sudden like dominating the fashion industry no no uh, Re Miranda, I feel like I, I really like this story because I like the idea that, you know, um, being with Che was sort of like a first experience for Miranda. And I felt like there was still a will they won't they with Steve going on, like at least in the back of my mind. And, and I don't know whether that was in Miranda's mind or not. And so I appreciate that they're at least acknowledging that and having the character be a little bit more complex than just I am a lesbian now sort of thing. And so I like the storyline and uh, I just find some of the choices that Miranda makes really odd. Like, you know, going to the bookstore with Naya is one thing. Okay, they wanted to go for an outing. Maybe it was like on the way from coffee or something like that. But when Miranda stumbles in on whatever the fuck that Valentine's Day like reading was um, and then decides to like hang out outside, like ditches Naya. Naya is nowhere to be seen after well, that. Naya's like, I'm going to go find, find the souffle, souffle book. <laughs> yeah. And then <laughs> as soon as Miranda sees Amelia, Naya's gone. And right. I feel like that is like a, a very emblematic of how they treat the character of Naya is like, we don't need to explain where she's gone. She's gone. Miranda's going home with it. We see Miranda go straight home without Naya. Naya's nowhere in sight. It's not like, oh, I'm just going to pick up this book and then I got to go to school or whatever it is. Right. And how great would it be if the plot line was that like Miranda's trying to flirt in front of Naya, who just kind of essentially gave Miranda the assignment of like, you need to get back in the game. Like that could have been a great beat. But yeah, yeah, instead they were just like. Yeah, Naya could have been like, like you told her you listen, like you listen to Jane Austen while running. Like that's a little like you're coming on a little strong. here. Also, I just don't see Miranda as a runner. Um, you know, I, <laughs> I Charlotte, 
Charlotte is not the that runner. I know her, but no, but like I feel like we we got some power walking in um, the Jackie O Reservoir on Sex and the City, but I I don't know, I just don't. That's just not my understanding of Miranda as a, as a person. Also, it's like she's so trim and fit though. Like she, she is, something. but she's so tired. Especially from after to, she's eating all those uh, salads with chicken wings in them, right? But like she's running, she was, you know, staying at Che's over in uh, Hudson Yards and then having to go back and make breakfast for Brady and then, you know, get to, to class. It was like, where is she finding, she could barely, she was right, barely able right. to stay awake. How is she finding the time to run? Well, I this do, could have been, this could have been pre-Che. Right, 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 right. Like, I do want to point out something that we didn't really get to last week that, that correlates to this, which is that like, okay, so. My question is like, are we going to see Steve again? The answer, according to what we know, is yes. There is some scene coming between Aiden, Steve, and Carrie. But like, is our understanding that like Steve and Miranda, as we know it, are done? Like the final scene was that moment with the condom in bed. And I gotta just say, I don't really understand how Miranda thinks that she is justified in saying, hey, I blew up our entire marriage by having an affair with you and leaving you. But the fact that you, after I had blown up the marriage, were having sex, that somehow like makes it so that like any possibility of us Mm -hmm. either getting back together or having an amicable divorce is now gone. I just feel like if, if the whole, if from the writer's perspective, the whole thing was sort of them trying to, earn Steve some dignity back because, you know, there's so much justice for Steve out there on the internet. It's like this only emblazoned those of us who are like justice or Steve. Cause I'm like, Miranda, you're totally out of pocket here. He did nothing wrong. He was moving on because you had moved on. So I just am curious if and how we're like, is Steve done on this show? Or I, like I said, I know we have a scene coming up with him, but like, is the Steve arc finito? I would, I hope not. I, I like, I, I, I want to say never say never, but I'm starting to say never with this show a little bit yeah. uh, because it's tough, like, they seem to, they seem to move on from something and it's like, it's really final. But then you have these moments like, uh, Hey, Aiden's back. So maybe in 10 years. Right. I don't know. There is a part of me that like, I mean, I don't want to say the hopeless romantic in me cause I'm really not a hopeless romantic, but like. <laughs> I would love if Miranda and Steve found their way back together at the end of this season. But besides the fact that I think it's unrealistic for obvious reasons, I also feel like if for those people that have seen the movie, they break up in the movie because Steve cheats on her and then they get back together in the end. I feel like it would be yet another rehashing of like Mm. a plot line we've done before. But I just feel like the writers attempted to sort of like, you know, redignify Steve. And like, I don't, I don't think that was so successful here because I mean, granted, yes, he stood his ground last episode and like stood up to Miranda, but I just don't like where we left off with Steve. I got to say also, you know, Steve had sure. Steve had a condom wrapper on his nightstand, but Miranda, that is nothing compared to having a bowl of flaming lips on your nightstand. (laughs) The cavities sent her to a dentist yeah. They took Valentine's Day so seriously in this universe. Oh my God. And like Harry makes the comment about how 
they gouge the prices on Valentine's Day. I'm like, what? <laughs> it's like, first we've got this like world in which the, the, the spa or the massage parlor is like, yeah, we only are doing couples. Then Harry's saying they gouge prices on Valentine's Day. I'm like, in what world? I also just want to mention, there's a great, fantastic, if not my favorite scene in the Sex and the City movie in which Carrie and Miranda go out for dinner on Valentine's Day to an incredibly valentine's day decked out restaurant and there's like a great comedic played in the fact comedic beat played in the fact that the the waitress believes the two of them are a couple not only are they not a couple they end up having an enormous fight and then they have to sort of like fight their way through the balloons that are all over the (laughs) restaurant it's such a great like comedic moment that is so sex in the city i was surprised that we're like revisiting valentine's day Mm. but also like in the world event just like that valentine's day is like the most celebrated holiday where I I don't know. I feel like Valentine's day is not a big deal for a lot of people. I mean, we skipped Christmas, Hanukkah, new years. We skipped it all. And Valentine's day is the holiday episode. We went Halloween, Valentine's day, the, the two genders. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Just such an odd choice. Um, also I, I like, the fact that Harry and, and Charlotte were like, we've got to go out, we've got to make a reservation the day of, I'm like, this is Charlotte York. She is like, miss, I have a reservation booked six months out. But also, Charlotte is smart enough to know, if you don't have the reservation already, you're not getting one. So again, all of these parents are so deferential to the kids, because in Charlotte's mind, she's like, well, I promised Lily she can have her fuck men party at the house. It's like, Guess what? If okay, wait, wait, first of all, it's called F the Boys. Okay. <laughs> it's not a fuck men party. Yeah. Great Taylor Swift moment. <laughs> um, but I'm like, they can hang out in, in Lily's room. Like, I, I'm just, it was so odd yeah, that totally. like, both LTW and Charlotte storylines were like, we got to vacate our Upper East Side homes for the kids. These kids These are just kids are running away up. with murder. Also, the fact that we had like, we had a Brady fucking storyline in season one. We had a Lily fucking storyline last episode. We have a Herbert Jr. fucking storyline in this episode. It's like, not only do we have too much of the kids, but it's like, these kids be fucking. It's more like, than the adults. Only, like, not only is Lily telling her parents she's going to go lose her virginity, now she's having a huge weed party at home. They're going to come home to, like, the highest kids. Right. Been, like, but but potentially they've eaten as much as Charlotte. Like they could be like in distress uh, how, and it's not a problem. How do you feel about, uh, how do you think Taylor Swift would feel about this plot line? Cause you know, she's implicated. Uh, I feel like she, I feel like she would like this. I don't think she would like her name associated with weed in any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like she tried weed once and didn't like it. Yeah. Uh, but I think, uh, you know, she's happy to collect a residual. <laughs> Do you think she's getting a residual? Actually, well, she's getting paid for the playing of Antihero, yeah. I am surprised that they included what is one of, like, my biggest pet peeves in film or television, which is the idea of, like, said character is drunk or high or on drugs, but then, like, moments later is, like, completely themselves. And and so you have this moment where it's, like, the plotline is supposed to be that Charlotte's like high out of her mind, so high that she's incapacitated to the point where she has to go to the hospital. But then she's at the hospital, which is ostensibly like what, a half an hour later. And then she's like completely clear headed and is like, I need to like change my entire life. I felt like 
she needed to be like high while having this realization yes. instead of it yes. being played where she's suddenly entirely sober. Yeah, and her husband needs to be like, let's talk about this tomorrow, sweetheart. Right. Yeah, that would have been funny. Right. I That plot line too, I gotta say between, so we have Seema yelling at the receptionist at the spot. Don't get me started. You know, <laughs> this is this is Seema to a T. It's then, like, this is, this is what we're gonna give Seema is this plot line about like, I, I wanna speak to the manager. Right, well then we have a Charlotte, I wanna speak to the manager plot line uh-huh. at the modeling agency. And then we have Harry yelling at the, recep- uh, at the host at the restaurant <laughs> saying, call a fucking ambulance. It's like, Harry, why don't you call a fucking ambulance with your you fucking phone. cell phone? Yeah, like yeah. what the fuck? But the like just the fact that we got like three of these characters being total Karens was really wild. Now, but you know what? But but I will say, refreshing to see a show about rich people where they're making them act like rich people. Sure, <laughs> that, that's that's generous. <laughs> that is generous. I do want to point out that Seema scene. Okay, <laughs> I was going to say, can you believe this? But you probably can if you're listening. <laughs> so I'm listening to the And Just Like That ancillary podcast, as they've stated, required uh-huh. listening. Michael Patrick King called this scene with Seema, quote, one of my favorite scenes ever. He called that scene one of his favorite scenes ever. And when you use ever, that's got to include Sex in the City and the comeback because he didn't say one of my favorite scenes ever on and just like that. He said one of his favorite scenes ever. I'm like, I don't get it. He needs a reality check. On top no, of he, that. No, he needs to get checked <laughs> by a doctor. On top of that, I didn't really understand Carrie's function in that scene because I get that they had like a couple of beats of like Carrie's a little bit embarrassed to be like, with her friend who's going apeshit, but like it felt like it needed, like I was craving them running into Bitsy Von Muffling at the spa or like yeah. it just, it needed something for Carrie to do in that it scene. It needed besides, like, yeah, like Bitsy's yeah. there and she's there with her friend and she's like, isn't this great? Like me and my friend are getting a couple's massage. And then they realize, oh, Seaman needs a moment where she's like, holy shit, I'm uptight. I am like, I'm a bitch. Right. And I need, like, she needs a moment of realization for me because there is no, as I've said before, there are no redeeming qualities to this character. And this whole thing, first of all, the scene, the concept doesn't make sense. Right. It doesn't make sense that she would be angry about this. It's Valentine's Day. Have a little fun. You're with your friend. It's like, I think you're comfortable enough with Carrie to be getting a massage next to her. It's not like sexual, it's a massage. And so this should not be an issue. And then the fact that she seems to revel in taking her frustration out on this employee at the spa, I think is like really bad for her character and my already dislike of this character and that she's going to take it to Yelp. And like that, that, that this, which really means nothing in Seema's world. It's like a minor inconvenience in Seema's overall life that she is going to use her power of influence to take it out on the spa for something that she should have known about when she booked. I just find the whole thing really off-putting. 
Right. It almost seemed like what the scene needed was the receptionist to like bark back at Seema yeah. Yeah. and like give her an actual re- So it's like Seema's overreacting. And then it turns out that Seema's not overreacting because the receptionist goes apeshit on her. It's yeah. like it needed that extra layer. And I understand the utility of this scene was Carrie having the opportunity to express that, you know, she was nervous about seeing Aiden again. But that didn't quite land for me because Seema doesn't know Aiden. And so I really needed that scene to be with Charlotte or Miranda. And I think it needed to be a one-on-one scene because they have the understanding of not only who Aiden is, but the history there. I did see in the scenes for next week, we're getting a dinner with Charlotte, Miranda, Carrie, and Aiden which I cannot wait for because I always loved when the men interacted with the women that weren't, you know, their romantic partner. And it's just a thrill to think about Cynthia Nixon and John Corbett doing scene work together. Like that gets my blood going. But yeah, I I was surprised that I understand, like they have to do a scene with Seema because she's a cast member on this show. And so this is the manner in which they chose to do it. But again, I'm sort of like, yeah, but like, I just don't think Carrie... I'm glad it wasn't with Che, I'll tell you that much, but it's like, I just don't think Carrie would be talking about her boyfriend of 13 years ago with Seema as opposed to, again, Charlotte and Miranda. Yeah. Speaking of Che, I find it really hard to believe that, so they come out of this restaurant, Carrie and Che, and Che makes a comment about, oh, I don't want to put us off our burgers. (laughs) I can't picture, and granted, like, I haven't watched the show, I can't picture Carrie with a burger in her so, mouth. So, Sean, you've watched Carrie eat a burger. Stop. Uh, when Carrie Stop. had her <laughs> fake COVID storyline and she was holed up at home, she ate a burger. Not only that, she ate the burger and dipped it in ketchup while oh she was eating the burger. Oh, my God. I love dipping a burger in ketchup. Me too. It's so much, like, it's so practical. You can't spread ketchup on a bun. Carrie is all of us right now. Yes, but no, you've, you've literally witnessed her <laughs> okay. eat a burger. And it's funny that you have that reaction because I had that reaction the first time I saw Carrie eat a burger, where I was like, Carrie Bradshaw mm. doesn't eat burgers. <laughs> but I guess she eats burgers. Because in that scene at the very beginning with the three ladies, I saw, I was looking at Carrie's bowl. It was over full. And I was like, does, is Carrie, I, in my mind, I was like, is Carrie eating a giant bowl of penne pasta uh-huh. for lunch? Like, I don't buy that. And then I realized it was a salad. I do and love so the fact like, that. Okay, that tracks. Yeah, they eat on this show. Like, at first, I'm watching Carrie in the scene and I'm like, is she going to eat her salad? And then she dug in and I, and that's, that's been a recurring thing on the show where like everyone eats while they're eating. Unlike, you know, on The Real Housewives, for instance, a reality show, when they go out to eat, like, they do not eat, they push the food around. Um, but on, and just like that, they eat. I don't love this like uh, television show movie trope sometimes where it's like, we're beginning the scene with the understanding of they've just had a whole meal together and this is them you know, saying goodbye. Mm-hmm. But then Che is going to be like, oh, by the way, about Miranda. And I understand they wrote it into the scene where it was like, I didn't want to bring this up while we're eating. But I just, knowing what we know about Che and Che's directness... I feel like, and also the fact that like Miranda is very much a fulcrum in their relationship, um, Carrie and uh, Carrie and Chase. It just was odd to me that it was like we're stepping outside, and I'm going to ask you this thing where it's like, why didn't we just discuss well, that while we were having our burgers? But also, what the hell were they talking about at lunch? Great question. Like, they were sitting together for at least an hour. What the hell do Carrie and Che talk about? 
Well, I'll tell you what they talk about once they step outside of lunch, which is the dog storyline, <laughs> which it's like, <sighs> I am like, are, do you think we're exploring this in episode eight? I, I don't see how not. Che got a job. Oh like if Che is going to be in this show. And first of all, so we find out that Che worked at a veterinary clinic. Did we know that no. prior to? No. Okay. So that's news to us. It's news to me. It's news to you. Now, this veterinary clinic has uh, an employee locker that has belonged to Che since time immemorial and has never been emptied out because in typical Che fashion, they never went to empty it out. Probably they just Mm -hmm. quit and walked away, left all their shit there. And now they are welcome back. Hopefully they remember their locker number uh, combination because otherwise we need to get a, a bolt cutter. Fetch the bolt cutters because Che's back. And <laughs> I just don't know, like, what is Che doing there? Like, are they a receptionist? Like, what, what? Just are they a trained medical professional? It's so out of left field. Mm-hmm. And yet if if Che's whole thing this season is that their pilot wasn't picked up, the show that, you know, all of this stuff they've been putting into their work hasn't worked out for them and they need a job and they're about to start Airbnb in their apartment where they're going to live. Nobody's sort of like explored that. You know, if they have a job, they have, we got to show, we got to show them at work. Nobody, as you said, nobody has a job on this show. It's also confusing not to let, again, getting in the weeds here. They were having lunch on 83rd and Lexington. <laughs> And the person at the veterinary clinic, which is, in theory, a few blocks away, makes a comment about, you would have been luckier to have this stray dog found in a rich area where, you know, a wealthy neighborhood. I don't think it gets much wealthier. I mean, well, no, it does. But I mean, 83rd and Lexington is a coveted New York City address that is literally the Upper East Side. I didn't understand that beat of like, no, that dog probably had a good life roaming the streets of the Upper East Side. They were probably doing that dog a disservice by bringing them to the shelter. It's also like, look, I mean, you live in New York City. Are there stray dogs? And like, I don't think there's stray dogs. No, living if you in New see York. It's a not stray dog, 70s. you would look around and say, mm, I'm sure there's an owner nearby who, yeah. who unleashed the dog by accident. Or like, my, I, uh, this is the other thing that's confusing to me too, is it's like, wouldn't you, if you find a stray dog, do you bring that? Like, I guess this is the question though, but do you bring them? Because all of a sudden that woman's like, oh, we'll take this dog in. But it's like, but what happens if the, I mean, in theory, the owner is looking for their dog. Yeah, I, and I don't think you bring a stray dog to a vet. You bring them to a shelter. Also, I'm not sure I would like be like, again, this is just me with animals, but like I really like the sweater that, that the, the service worker at the, the clinic or whatever, the veterinary, whatever, was wearing. It's like, do you really bring a stray dog into your bosom with that sweater on? It's like, I don't know where that dog's been. Isn't rabies a thing? Line, it's their line of work. Yeah, but like, but you keep them on the ground. Yeah, I, I was more than I wouldn't be wearing that sweater so, at work. Yeah. So, and they and they kept referring to it as a stray dog, which confused I me. Know. I know. Like, well, obviously, it's just somebody's dog who got loose. But I did appreciate. It's, like, that it's not a ratty dog. No, or it's just a little dog. Again, it's the Upper East Side. But I did appreciate that we got a signature Carrie squeal <laughs> because I always love a Carrie Bradshaw squeal. But again, it's like so often it's like. 
I was like, hmm, why are Che and Miranda walking down the street in the scene together? And it's like, oh, because this scene is ostensibly to set up Che's next storyline. So this all was just a means to an end. And again, with like the Charlotte getting high plotline, it's like, oh, this was just a means for Charlotte to have like a THC-induced revelation about where they need to, you know, move their life toward. Which I, I I also well sorry go ahead. no you go ahead well I just really liked <laughs> I really liked how similar to the way Miranda abandoned Naya at the bookstore it was like Che finds this dog that Carrie wants nothing to do with and Carrie's like see ya like I I'm not coming with you to the if the dog bites you you're on your own and it's like I'm going home all I want to do is stay with Carrie <laughs> it's like yeah, I want to yeah, go where Carrie's Carrie. going let's follow Carrie no totally okay so we need to talk about Anthony and Hot Fellas yeah, and sure. the HGH of it all wild uh so not only are Hot Fellas you know, shooting HGH, which, you know, is interesting. And, uh, but they're doing it at the, in the kitchen. <laughs> and literally the hot fellas, his name is Tom with an H. Tom sets down the used needle right by the bread. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know about this. Like, and here Anthony's firing him because he shoots HGH and not because he shoots HGH on the job. Yeah. Which it's like, yeah. that's the issue here, Anthony. I, yeah. like, I gotta say, like, uh, in the characters I hate most, I Che is, like, not... I don't hate Che. I don't need Che, but I don't hate Che. The characters that I hate on and just like that are Lily and Anthony. But I want to focus <laughs> in on Anthony because we didn't really What's get a ton of Lily. What's wrong with Lily? I love Lily. I don't know, probably. Okay, let's focus on Anthony. But Anthony, it's like, what is he doing? I don't understand the choice to have Hot Fellas continue. The idea was that it came around in season one because in the boom of the pandemic, everyone was doing sourdough starters and Anthony had this, you know, light bulb idea, which is like, I'm going to take this thing and turn it into a whole business, which I understand. But we're post-pandemic now. I don't think people need their... I don't think deliver. I, I don't know, but okay, let's suspend that for a moment here. Uh, like, I mean, baker bakeries have existed forever. Like, I understand that. Like, he's got a bakery. Sure, but is the so my question though is that is the issue with him needing to bring Giuseppe in for the Drew Barrymore show? Is the issue is the plot line that he lost all of his employees? Because that would make sense. We all saw them storm out. But no, that's not the plot. Yeah. The plot is that his current employees are too like uh porny oh, right. to be on daytime talk show. But like if Drew right, Barrymore right. is booking, or if the, the the bookers on the Drew Barrymore show are booking this business, they're doing it because they want to spotlight the business as it is, not adapt it for their viewer. I think that they would have realized when they initially booked it that they were like, oh, these are some sexy men. Also, I'm sorry, I found this a little demeaning to the Drew Barrymore show viewers where it's like, I think they can handle like muscular men in tight clothing. I don't think that's like going to like scare them away. What I don't understand is that I, I had forgot this point about how the remaining hot fellows were too quote unquote porny, but the hot fellows that I saw were also porny. And so if... Drew Barrymore saw one of those hot fellas and really liked the concept 
and wanted to book them, I don't see how it gets more porny. Yes. Than those people. Right. Like, are, is there cum on the faces of the other people? Like, what is the distinguishing difference? It's a great question. Also, Charlotte offering Giuseppe $300. How rude. <laughs> how rude. <laughs> also. What do you mean rude? She should have given him more money. She's literally like. And $300 is a pretty good payday for. It's not about an that. It's about how much money Charlotte has. It's not that it's about. Just because you have a lot of money doesn't mean. No, no, no. I disagree. I totally disagree. $300 for a day of work? You think that's. You think. Uh, it's for like a half day of work. I don't know. I feel and like, it's like, it's not like he's working. He's going on the Drew Barrymore show. You're right. That's not work. So, some of us have done that for free. It's true. <laughs> it's, it's true. <laughs> what did you make of Drew Barrymore's performance this episode? Because I thought she was fantastic. Oh, more Drew. Yeah. Bring in more Rachel Trash, Drew. Drew Barrymore. Let's get, let's get the crew back Julie together. Julie Halston. More Drew, yeah. less Ross Matthews. I concur. Drew really rose to the occasion. <laughs> I thought there was some really great moment-to-moment work happening with Drew. But the other thing- I believed I was watching an episode of the Drew Barrymore totally. show. Totally. The other thing, going back to the end, just like that podcast, as I am wont to do, they like- were beaming with pride about this actor. They be, like honestly, I <laughs> I'm going to actually send you the audio of the way that they spoke about this actor as though it was, you know, Scorsese discovering Robert De Niro. You know what I mean? Like it was just really uh, like was his, was the dick real? Is that why? I I I don't think so. I knowing what I know of the show, that was prosthetic. Um <laughs> But they were like, oh my God. And the best part is they were like, he's authentic Italian. And I'm like, I didn't think he was authentic. I mean, even the fact that he is actually Italian, that surprised me because it was giving me American yeah. doing an Italian accent. But they were like so proud of the authenticity of like finding an Italian actor for this role. And again, we're clearly getting more Giuseppe next episode. I thought this was like quite a wild stretch. And I don't know, I'm just not needing like an Anthony romance storyline. And when MPK was talking about it, he was like, you know, we're in the writer's room and we're like, where do we go with Anthony? You know, he broke up with Stanford and, you know, he he, he needs to, you know, get back in the dating pool. And I'm like, does he? Like, is this something we, is, is this a road we need to travel down? I haven't seen Italian that authentic since Stephanie Germanotta was in House of Gucci. It's true. It's so true. <laughs> but I'm like, I don't know. I don't know about this guy. Also, it's sort of like uh, the the it's we, we clearly had something that was akin to like a prostitution situation in that it's like, you know, mm-hmm. he was being paid because he was sexualized on this show. Um, I'm just curious how we're going to fashion this into some sort of mutual romance in the next episode yeah so i'm to understand i I know we're getting ahead of ourselves here talking about next week but i'm to understand that he also has an attraction for anthony i i've always not sure but this this reminds me i know you haven't seen this but stanford has a boyfriend that comes along in the later seasons of sex in the city marcus and marcus is played by the incredibly hot actor sean palmer they acknowledge the fact that marcus is very, very good looking and Stanford, it, they don't seem like they would, you know, that there, there would be an instant attraction mm. between the two of them. Like, but again, the show acknowledges that. It's not that I'm not making any comments about the lack of attractiveness of Mario Cantone, but like, I feel like, are we going to address the fact that a guy like Giuseppe, I'm not sure if like Anthony would be 
his immediate type. Mm-hmm. I also well, feel like he's it, got a great personality. We needed to have like some sparks flying between them in this episode. To yeah, get no, us. it was like it was a, it was actually a very like a not a great relationship. Yeah, it was very transactional. Yeah. Okay, before we go, let's touch down on Carrie. There we go. So Carrie goes to this restaurant. She tells the restaurant host, "I'm here for the eight o'clock reservation for Aiden, whatever his name is." Okay, great. We'll seat you. This restaurant has no vibe whatsoever. Considering every restaurant is booked out on Valentine's Day, this place is dead. Why did they seat her if there was no reservation? Right. Is it they were that desperate for the business? Which I guess we're we're led to believe, yes, that is the case. But it needed a beat of of like him looking with a confusion moment to sort of land that. That's that's a moment where I I need to be told not shown. Now we have done this beat, yeah, with Carrie. There's you know one of the great scenes uh, of the of the original series is in season four episode one. It's Carrie's birthday and none of her friends show up. It's like classic SATC. So this was a familiar beat. Not necessarily the worst thing in the world, but again we are like continuing to sort of like retread themes that we've already seen before. But I did find it odd that like a couple things here. Carrie didn't Google the restaurant in advance and kind of say, this is an odd place for Aiden to choose for us to meet. Um, And then it's like, she didn't get his phone number ahead of them meeting up. And then after 20 minutes, she didn't, she was waiting for him to text because she's calling Miranda being like, where is she? Oh, I guess she didn't have his number. But then how did he have her number? Because her number is the same. Great question. Why? I, I don't know. I guess my difficulty too was when she finally decided to go outside. He's like, oh, it's the restaurant next door. She turns the other way, which is what gives us that great moment of her looking over her shoulder and discovering him. Also, he says, I'm in the red booth. Why did he come outside? Yeah. And he's wearing his oh, the coat. He's wearing that coat. So he literally got up from his seat, put on his coat to step outside to grab Cinched her. Cinched his way. Cinched. Honey, this was giving me Sweeney Todd, the demon barber of Fleet Street. It was giving me World War One. Oh my God. I In the trenches. It's like, oh my God. It, it's so bizarre aesthetically in the obvious sense, but also that Aiden of all people would be dressed like this Aiden who's sort of just like meant to sort of encapsulate the everyman. Aiden who is like specifically someone who is not getting dolled up for dinner. I was just aghast. It's a really confusing choice because it's like here is this scene that is very important between two people who haven't seen each other in a long time. And what should we do? Oh, we should distract from it by making the, wrapping this character up like a weirdly shaped present. Make it make sense. Yeah. But as I said, so <laughs> yeah. good to see him. It's interesting, a little bit of behind the scenes of it all. So John Corbett had a lot of pushback um, with how this all played out. So originally it was supposed to be that the two of them start making out in the cab on the way to Carrie's. Because I think for a lot of people watching, you would say, because Sex and the City loves cabs, which I appreciate, or excuse me, and just like that loves cab culture, they're not an Uber Lyft culture, which I appreciate, Mm -hmm. very quintessential SATC. 
But uh, rule number one of getting in a cab is that you give them the address. Um, so Aiden probably would have heard where they were heading. Needless to say, the original choice was to have them making out so that he would sort of be unaware of where they were heading. But John Corbett mm. pushed back at that and was like, we can't give it all away right then. They have to have, it has to be the big climax. The other thing that John Corbett pushed back at is he didn't like the idea of Aiden turning away from Carrie and starting to walk away. But then MPK was like, no, 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 we need you to walk away so that we can get this sweeping shot of you going over and approaching her and going in for the kiss, which I will say from like a cinematic perspective did work for me. Um, and I did like the, the, you know, the mislead of, Oh, he's going to leave. It did. I mean, it got me, they got me Gail. Like I was like, Oh my God, where is he going? And then when he turned around, but again, I'm going to come back to what I said earlier, which is as much as I loved that kiss, the hug did it more for me. Okay. I got to say this about this whole ending. I was confused because this is a grown ass man who is being triggered by Carrie's apartment and is upset that she lives in the same apartment that she lived in when they last dated and is going to hold that against the entire situation after they've had what seems to be a good meal together, a good reunion. He was ready to go back to her place. They were going to fuck. And he's like, oh, no, 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 I can't go in there. And not only can I not go in there now, I will never step foot in that apartment again. And for that reason, because you live here, I will, this is over. Right, but I was comfortable going into the apartment that you shared with your dead husband who you had an Uh affair with Uh while we were dating that Uh ultimately broke us up. Uh, Yeah, I mean, sure. Yes, and Yeah, didn't know all that, but yeah, uh uh-huh, yeah. Um, I think (laughs) I thought it was so crazy. I thought it was such a weird beat to hit at the end like that. And I was like, and I'm left still. I mean, I I understand based on the kiss and the final line of and just like that, Aiden and I were back on the same page. But... I was left with questions of like, okay, so they're going to get a hotel room to smash in. And then what? Is this a one and done? Because like, this is going to be a big problem if they're going to have a relationship that he can't step foot in Carrie's house. So I hear what you're saying. I think that there's critical context around the apartment that I actually, I do think this was an earned beat. Because their breakup is very much centered around the apartment. So just to give you a little bit of context, basically Aiden was going to move into Carrie's apartment and the plan was that they were going, they were purchased the apartment next door to Carrie's and were going to knock down the wall in between. And basically what Mm -hmm. gives Carrie the breakdown that she has that ultimately has her deciding not to marry Aiden, which in turn has them breaking up is because of the breaking of the wall. It's like triggers her in some sort of way of feeling like she's not ready for marriage. So I do think that like the context of it, yes, I do think there's a part of me that's like, I don't think he would be like that pressed about it. But I also do think considering that it's literally the apartment that was the reason that they dissolved their engagement, I think it is justified, but it's interesting hearing your perspective having not seen the show. But then again, I'm thinking 95% of people watching have seen the show. So my perspective was I appreciated the recognition of the history of what this place would Mm. mean to someone like Aiden. 
Okay, I like the wall thing because now that's triggering that there was a comment said about this isn't like breaking through walls or something like that. And I was like, well, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. Um, So, okay, so I like that context. Oh my God, but like it's so- I still think it's a little crazy to say, to say I'll never step foot in that apartment. It is crazy, but it is crazy. I I would understand. It would be interesting if like, if they had gone in- they have sex or something, and he's like, I feel really weird in here, and here's the reasons why, and, like, I just don't like this. Right. And, and that that's, that's a good, like, relationship issue for them to work through, but just by establishing the baseline of, like, I'm never setting foot in your apartment, I think is, like, it's too hard for me. Well, I do think there's a world in which it's, like, he does step foot in the apartment, and then once inside... And he's touching the walls and sees the bed and like the that that could have led him to want to flee. Like I almost feel like we needed to get him inside so that he could be reminded mm-hmm. of like the space itself. So I hear you. I do think ultimately it was like though it was a weird decision for the character. I did understand that Aiden would be weird about that. So I sort of was like, it's justified given what we know about the character, but. I'm so curious, you know, we have four episodes left. In theory, we have to imagine that the finale is written as a possible series finale because of the uncertainty of there being a season three. So are we getting a four or five episode arc of Carrie and Aiden back together? Are we ending the show with Carrie and Aiden together? I can't imagine that the show is going to give us a third Aiden and Carrie break up. Like, I just don't think they're going to do that. But at the same time, it's like putting mm-hmm. Aiden and Carrie back together feels so incredibly fan service. And yet, I love them so much. They're so important to me. I feel like for me, like young me, it was Buffy and Angel and it was Carrie and Aiden. I never cared about Big. He <laughs> never did anything for me. I loved and love Aiden and I kind of have a hard time forgiving Carrie for ever letting him go to begin with and I find their breakup their second breakup to be like heart-wrenching because I don't think she really wanted it but like it was such good writing I mean this is why the show is so good because it's like she shouldn't have done it but she did it and I understood from her perspective why she was making a bad decision oh my god I missed that show anyway I am curious to see what we have in store (laughs) For Aiden and Carrie. I'm invested. Wow. I mean, I hope, uh, look, I hope for the sake of the narrative sort of flow of the show that he is going to stick around because I need mm-hmm. something to stick around for a few episodes. Yeah. Uh, and it would be nice to have, uh, like, do you think Carrie's going to move out? No. Maybe they're going to move in together or something. Well, that might be, although at the pace of the show. But moves, also he lives in Virginia, I thought. Like, he's only visiting New York. Right. So is that the issue that he's like? Yeah, but the next episode is going to be like three months down the line. I know, right? The next episode, it's like 2028. They're like, they're in a flying car, like zooming through Manhattan. You know what I mean? (laughs) It's like knowing this show. Now, tell me this much. You know, here we are. We're an hour and 20 minutes in talking about this Uh episode. Do you feel differently about the episode having hashed it out? Uh, no. no. <laughs> Are you can, you, can you be honest here? Do you regret the decision for us to recap this week? And, and yes is totally fine. 
Uh, do I regret the decision? I don't regret the decision. I, I'll tell you that certainly in the past couple of weeks, like when I've gone to sort of like start my, my notes on the recap and I go, okay, which episode are we on? Like, like this week I was like, oh my God, we're only on seven. Like there's still four more of these to go. Uh, I, I definitely had that moment. Um, but that's more so because my summer is so, so, so busy uh, not just with podcasting, but like with work and life. So uh, there's definitely that aspect of it. I felt a little strange about, uh, I think the only regret has come in where I'm like, I feel bad. There was this comment. So of course we had our interview with Mike White and Angelina Keeley. And I, I don't, there was this uh, one one comment made on our Instagram that sort of I was like, oh, uh, where somebody said, finally some Survivor content on a Survivor podcast. I was like, oh, yeah. So like if if I had a regret, it's just that the podcast has been completely rebranded as as a non-survivor podcast over the summer. Um, and so so I regret that we've had basically no time to do survivor content uh, and that people are missing that. And I, and I miss it a little bit too. But I mean, like this has certainly been like a fun experiment and I would certainly never stop now. Uh, and I would, I actually would never stop like even like two episodes in, um, because I commit to things like this and I want to see it through to the end. Um, but do I feel like I've, uh, improved my life in any way by watching it just like that? No. Fair. It's fun to be able to have something to talk about. Like I got something new at a party to be like, do you watch it just like that? And I have like knowledge about it where previously I, I, when sex in the city would come up, I'd be out of the conversation. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I like exposing myself to something new that's like a franchise that people are super invested in one way or the other. My only pushback, but I understand this, is it's like for those people that are like, where's the Survivor content? It's like, well, we are recording weekly Survivor content. It's just paywalled. And I understand the argument. It's like, well, if so basically if you're getting... If you are on the free level, it's basically like we're offering it just like that for free, but you have to pay for Survivor on the Survivor podcast. Like, I understand that (laughs) argument. However, as people that, like, do podcasting quite often and are trying to, like, you know, make a livelihood of it, like, there is the option for people that are missing Survivor content on the Survivor podcast to get their weekly Survivor podcast, to get their content. There's just, yeah, it's paywall. And And so, honestly, I understand the pushback of, like, okay, again, we're paywalling the thing that people ostensibly come to us for i get it but like there is survivor content that we are doing weekly we are doing survivor content yeah yeah well i like i don't feel bad about that or anything i but you know it it was a moment where it's like and i I think like i had a friend (laughs) send me a screenshot as well this was kevin from deja the view he sent me a screenshot of the drop your buffs this was right before the mike white and angelina interview dropped where it was just like the entire page was just in just like that and he was like he was like, what happened to your Survivor podcast? <gasps> Kevin. <laughs> so. Well, Wait, what's that line? What's, um, it's the uh, Black Swan, whatever happened to my sweet girl. <laughs> it's like that. <laughs> <laughs> whatever happened to my sweet Survivor podcast. Listen, we've got one more month of this. Um, but, <laughs> I can't believe it's so long. <laughs> I know, but like. I, you know what scares me is just like. Um, yeah, I mean, I said it already, but there's a month left of this, and this month is like literal hell for me. So I'm just like, I hope, like, I mean, I know, I, I know we can do it and stuff. It's just like when it when when the schedule gets um, 
kooky, mm-hmm. I find it stressful a little bit. Just to schedule, but I understand. The really good fun. news though, after today, we have one more shot of Evan. So at least we are yeah, relieved true. of one stress point. One thing. Yeah. And the last episode of Shut Up Evan's probably gonna be delayed, so we'll even have a little bit of time. Oh, perfect. <laughs> Between <laughs> this fucking strike. Anyhow. Yeah. Survivor will be back. Hey, there's this really cool whatever. It's no, it's not really it. cool. Sorry. I think it's no, so it's cool. Not. Are you joking? Oh my god. I'm not doing this. What? You're talking about the drone shot? It's not a drone shot. It's Google satellite images. Okay. I That's not a drone. But like it's just like what are the chances that Google Earth is taking its image satellite imaging of Fiji at the moment? That three boats are pulling up to a challenge. Okay, I didn't like, realize. That's wild. Okay, okay, okay. I didn't realize. That's cool. That that is on as we know it, day one of filming Survivor Forty Six. Uh-huh. And we and we believe that this is a real image. Well, it, it's on Google Earth. I looked it up. Okay, that's um, cool. I don't th- I don't believe that it's like the actual Maroonie because you can't actually see any production. I think it's probably the test run with the Dream Team, but that's beside the point. It's cool. Okay, whatever. <laughs> Uh, well, Survivor 45 will be premiering in September, and uh, we're having a big uh, premiere party. Evan's just sorting out the details. I am sorting them out. <laughs> right. Well, okay, that's enough. So, oh my uh, God, can you're I just say, to... I had the weirdest moment just now, where what? I like dipped my head a little bit. Oh, my God. And I saw my brother in my face. Anyway, that was so <laughs> weird. <laughs> I'm going to call you an ambulance. Um. All right. All right, so you're going to post a meme cap for this episode? Yeah, I'm working on it. I've got a really funny okay. one of them. I'm the Drew, I'm doing a fun one with the Drew Barrymore. Okay, and what do you want people to comment on your meme so cap? So let's think about this. Carousel. Let's, should, well, we could do... Should we do like a baguette? Oh, yeah, gotta be. For sure. We have a baguette emoji, right? Yeah, baguette. Yeah, okay, baguette. It's baguette. Baguette for the faggot. Yeah. Okay, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this, rate and review. Bye. Bye.